just now bow before you. We kneel and we take an attitude in our souls and a posture in our bodies. We bow and we kneel and we say, God, you are holy. You are eternal. You are the one that loves us and have proven your love in the most extreme display of loving sacrifice the world universe has ever known. It is incomparable, your love for us. I suspect that we are shocked when we hear of people literally losing their lives bodily for the sake of the kingdom in your name. And, and I'm wondering if part of our shock is because we've yet, we're the people in church, and we have yet perhaps to yield our bodies in living for you. Because we're unwilling to live for you, we think it outrageous to actually die for you. Help us to genuinely lay down our lives before you. So if I get disrespected, it's, it's, it's no shock. I've given my life over to Jesus. If I get abused, no, it's not a shock. I've given my life over to Jesus. And should someone take my life, because I will not recant the holy name of Jesus, it should come as no surprise, I've given my life over to Jesus. Maybe we think this is shocking and outrageous and bizarre, because we don't understand others who have completely emptied themselves long before John Chow died on that island. He had given his life over to your lordship and spent 10 years in sacrificial living. God, help us to get to the place of real sacrificial living. Believing that wherever you lead us in that kind of living, wherever that, that kind of living takes us by your calling and your providence, it would be good. It would, it would be good. This is how God has given me to honor my King. This is how God has given me to serve my Lord and Savior. Nothing would be too extreme. The best fathers find their greatest joy in serving their families. They're not dictatorial They don't make it about themselves. They're not requiring that the whole family serve them. They lead by serving themselves. Their greatest joy is not in grabbing, but in giving. God, help us to know that strength and leadership is not, as we see it in American business, we discover strength and leadership and sacrificial living. And that's precisely what you give us 
in your life in the Gospels. God, help us. Help us to see that, to believe that, and give our lives over to it. That we would live death to self life for you, and should it cost us our actual life, it's okay. I've already died to myself. God, help us get to this principle in its most truest, purest Christian form. In Jesus' name. Open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 6. Take your way to chapter 6. I want to spend some time on the introduction, interestingly enough. And then we'll. I've got four big points I want to make with you. We'll fly through the first two. We'll spend most of our time this morning on the last two. Security, sloth, wickedness, and wantonness. But look at the introduction with me first. There's these interesting verses in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 18, starting in <clears throat> verse 19. Read these verses with me on the screen from Leviticus. Just a list of divine structure, you can call them rules, commandments. I want you to catch the heart of this. Do not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual uncleanness. You should not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and so make yourself unfaithful from her. You should not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, human sacrifice, and profane the name of the Lord, I, I, the name of your God. I, I am the Lord. Then verse 22. <clears throat> You should not like the male as the woman. It is an abomination. You should not lie with any animal, so make yourself unclean with that animal. Neither shall any woman that give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. Before we leave this, go back to verse 22 and look at the last line. It is an abomination. It. That act is the act. It is not the person. It is an abomination. And in that little paragraph, from verse 19 down to verse 23, is just a, a, a sampling, really, of, of all kinds of forbidden immoralities. But I want you to key on the non-personal language. Words matter. <clears throat> it is an abomination. That's in Leviticus 18, look at chapter 19. There's some verses out of chapter 19, very next chapter. Chapter 19, Leviticus 19, starting in verse 17. You shall not hate your brother. Now, in chapter 18, he just said, don't do this perverted stuff. And there was more than one illustration. Don't do that. It is an abomination. Abomination simply means a greatly detested thing. It is abhorrent. Don't do that. What if your brother or sister is doing it? You shall not hate your brother, hate your mother. You should reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of it. Don't don't bring that into this family. Don't bring that into our culture. Don't. don't it's, it's going to contaminate. 
But you don't hate the person that's been deceived. Do, 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 have you thought through what exactly did Jesus mean of those seven last words from the cross? The first one being, Father, forgive them. You know what they're doing. I, I don't want to go on some philosophical discourse here and waste Bible time talking about the deception of Satan and, and how he's captured the minds of millions. But Jesus is praying on that very issue. Father, I don't hate them. And he's telling us, right after he says, that is an abomination, but don't hate them. Don't hate them in your heart. They're not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Right. Satan. I'm not excusing the sin. I'm not minimizing the sin. They're the victims of sin. <clears throat> and it's not just that big issue right in the middle of that paragraph that we just read back in chapter 18. There's a number of things there. Oh, I didn't think that was so bad. Reason frankly with one another. Don't bring sin in, in, into your community. Finally, verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people when they are caught in abominable things. You shall love your neighbors yourself. I am the Lord. Just one chapter later, you might think, well, that sounds like a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. It's making clear distinction between sin that we embrace and people who have been deceived to embrace it. Are you really thinking there's never time that you weren't deceived? And the evil, what you're doing is, well, you know, it may not be mainstream, but at least it's not that. You found something worse that you can feel better about yourself. So we are to, as the old line says, hate the sin and love the sin. Real quickly, just talk about hate, because we're talking about hate here this morning. Or I want to really qualify that and say appropriate. Look at these last two references in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You might recognize this, this whole section, the, the whole paragraph. It ends in chapter 8. It begins in verse 1. And I didn't ask Mark to cut, but you know it. It's, it's, if you don't know the scripture from the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, you do know the, the song by the birds. To everything there is a season and time for every purpose under heaven. Time do this, time do that. Time this, time that. That's the Bible. Those guys were singing the Bible. Making money, singing the Bible. And verse 8 ends, the time to love, the time to hate. The time to love, the time to hate. And then lastly, my way of introduction, Amos. Prophecy of Amos, chapter 5, and verse 15. Book of Amos, hate evil. Does not say hate evil people. Hate evil. Love good. Establish justice in your house, your community, on your street, wherever you have influence and pull. Establish justice. It may be 
the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the sons of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, to the people of God. Hate evil. Love good. Love God. See what God will do for us. See if He'll intervene on our behalf. There is a place for hate. Most of us, 99% of the time, misunderstand the appropriate place for the appropriate application. And even the word hate is not, so I just want to kill them. Jesus, when he's dealing with that issue in the Sermon on the Mount, says that kind of anger is the same as murder, in the same way that pornography is equal to adultery. We have a horrible, unbiblical comprehension of what hate is and how it should be appropriately exercised or used or expressed. So let me just read chapter 6, Proverbs chapter 6. Is this the microphone annoying you as much as it is that the acids are coming out? <laughs> Funny? Chapter 6, we want to apply it to the first two. Catch in Proverbs chapter 6, look at the um, verse 1. My son, if you put up security for your neighbor, for your neighbor. And the problem with the scripture is if that sounds like something a pastor should ever say, the problem with scripture, the problem with translations of scripture is how is this word used? Is it, we say neighbor, it's the people who live on my street, or however broad you think your neighborhood is. I live in the same town, but they live on the far side of town. I don't know where they are. Besides, I hear those people over there, they're crazy. Of course, you know, they're saying that about this side of town where you live. So what does the word neighbor mean? Some say, well, it's not anyone in your house. They wouldn't use the word neighbor. They would use the word family or household. Or the point I'm rambling to get to is the whole idea of providing security, the closest I could give you would be like co-signing a loan. When Paul and I first got married, we did a lot of foolish things, a lot of foolish things. One of them was we had a car that was paid for and there was nothing wrong with it, but we wanted a new one. So we bought a new one and we needed someone to co-sign the note, which says, I can't make the payments, Dad will. That's security. I guarantee his performance. I guarantee his character. I guarantee he'll pay the money. I guarantee. And if he doesn't, I'll, I'll, I'll take the hit. Solomon is saying, don't do that for your neighbor. Now, is he talking about people outside the family? I would with the family. I don't know. Depends on how you translate the word neighbor. I have some Christian friends who would never do it, not even for their kids. And let say, well, I'm not sure it means that. Just catch the point here. Catch the point that he opens this chapter talking about vouching for someone else's character. To what degree can I do that? And not just their character, but the performance that character will produce. That because they are a person of character, they will therefore pay the money or keep the promise 
or whatever the arrangement has been. Careful about making security and speaking on behalf of another. And he does use the word hate in those first five verses. But you, you get the idea of the urgency here and, and what comes in verses 3, 4, and 5. You need to save yourself. You're in a trap. You're in a snare. Don't trap yourself. Don't entangle yourself. Don't get tied up to someone else's character. You won't always be able to vouch for someone else. You think you know them, but then you discover, my son did that. That's the first section, verse 4 and 5. Don't go to sleep. Get this fixed. Verse 6, I'm rather verse 5. Run like a gazelle. Get out of that situation. Here's another one. Start with me in verse 9 and 10. The end of the short paragraph. Look at verse 9 and 10. How long are you laughing at me, swear? Get out of bed. Go to sleep, go to slumber, go forward with hands to rest. Poverty will come upon you. Poverty. Well, that's kind of an outrageous jump from laziness to poverty. But if you don't think you're there late, you're not paying close attention. I don't want to turn this into a political speech. This, this is church. We're here to worship God and learn from His Word. We're not here to make political decisions. We're going to sway you one way or the other. But there's some disagreement on how much we should do for people who can't do for themselves. Should we do everything? And what about a person who can do for themselves, but they just won't? There's a big debate going on for a long time, and it's not going to end anytime soon. And the Scripture speaks of this very issue. Poverty will come not only when there's been disenfranchisement, if you've been isolated, you've been pushed to the perimeter, uh, medical promises have been broken, all those are real issues. But sometimes, sometimes, not every time, not all the time, but sometimes, poverty comes by sheer laziness. Here's the solution. Back to verse uh, 6, where the paragraph begins. You need to get a lesson from the insect world. Go to the ant, you slugger. Ants, termites, and bees are the only three creatures that God has made that function in this very unique way that everyone exists and functions for the sake of the whole, not just for me. Ants, termites, and bees exist in their whole structure with clearly defined roles and distinct definitions of, of I do this, you do this, you do this, and we all benefit. We all benefit. It looks like the queen gets all of the attention. And she does get pampered. But as a result, we all live and we live well. We all have dysfunction and there's independency. When you break away from that interdependent, I'm trusting you and you're trusting me and we take care of one another, when that begins to break down, poverty comes and people die and only a few elite will survive. And the only way they survive is 
to find a new colony or a new hive, start over somewhere. I don't remember the name of this book, but it was about the uh, ant and the grasshopper. And my mother would read it to me of all the books. I would say, read this one. She said, no, son, I want you to hear this one. And she would read to me the story over and over and over again about the ant and the grasshopper. The ant was diligent and the grasshopper had a feather. He was always playing his feather. And then the winter came. And the grasshopper died. And the mother would close the book and she would son, you're a grasshopper. <laughs> <laughs> That's a true story. It comes true, like it came true, Bill. It comes yeah. true. Poverty will follow these behaviors. How can we love the Bible when it tells us about the love of Jesus, but we hate the Bible when it tells us about what to hate? Careful about being security for others. Careful about being slothful yourself. Paul has much to say here. People say that humans are social creatures, so I think I agree, sort of, we define the word. I would rather say we are familial creatures. God put the solitary in families. My family is part of a larger culture, a larger society. We're, we're in Camden County, we're in South Jersey, we're in New Jersey, we're on the East Coast, we're in the United States, we're in a global community. All of that's true, and I, I'm part of that ever-widening social structure, but the core of our existence, and for you too, whether you know it or not, is your family. God put the solitary in families. Those families are generational families. Sons of Abraham. Long after he's dead and gone, there, there's still that familial sense of identity. We're part of a society that God put us in families. That family needs to develop its own work ethic and philosophy about these things. It's in verse 12 that, it's, that, that he gets more specific about hate. Start with me in verse 12. And this is a short section, 12 down to verse 15. He uses the word in verse 12, a worthless person, a wicked person. A worthless and a wicked person, because the verb here is Belial, or a son of Belial. Belial is one of the names of Satan. Now, he's not necessarily saying that person is demon possessed. <coughs> he is saying that person has picked up some of the characteristics of Satan. That he lies, or she lies easily to get out of work to make excuses for why I can't be productive. They're wicked because of the deception. They're worthless because they're not productive. They don't give hope, they don't give joy, they don't give pleasure, they don't give help, they don't give, they don't contribute. They're a drain. This is why we say, you're sucking the life out of me. Take, 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 nothing constructive. It's worthless and wicked. Paul has a lot to say about work ethic. Work is a good thing. Paul said if you don't work, you can't lay around and read the Bible all day. If you don't work, you don't eat. You don't eat. Right. 
So beginning in verse 12, a worthless person, a wicked man. He goes about with crooked speech. It's crooked as deceptive. Says one thing, does another. 13, he winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. That's easy, easy, easy elusive. Clever, smiling. Could even be, a, on some level, romantic. Wooing his prey. A sweet talker. That's verse 13. Winks with his eyes. And, and he really doesn't tell you where he's going. Only way he figured it out is just, where's his feet? That's, that's how you know. But he didn't look at Because he's trying to figure out, well, where's the best deal? Who can I schmooze? And who's going to buy me a meal? And who's going to take care of me? And where can I get something for nothing? And he's just, there's no clear cut plan. He just keeps smiling and talking. Winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. The problem is 14. There's a perverted heart. It's twisted. It's I don't, I don't remember what age bracket, what what decade, but there was this thing we called Twisted Sister. That, that's, that's who I want my kids listening to their music. Twisted Sister. That's the word perverted heart. It's a perverted heart. They don't shoot straight. It's twisted. It's perverted. And it devises evil. And here's, for me, the last line of verse 14 might be the most crippling effect, result, that everywhere they go, when they leave, people aren't more harmonious and loving and interactive and cohesive. Quite the opposite, they're divisive. Or I think whoever makes these decisions how to pronounce a word, it's not called divisive. I didn't get the email. I heard someone else. Oh, it's that way now. When you are around, is your effect to create unity or to produce disunity? Do you have a wicked heart? That's all about you, and you want the world to revolve around you? Or do you see yourself as in the world and Christ is the center of life and I revolve around him? Have you put yourself at the center and you create division? Or is Christ at the center and you're united with others who are united around him? That's the big question here. A perverted heart devises evil and it sows discord without even knowing it continually. Sometimes it's intentional, oftentimes it is not. They don't even know it. It's just how they roll. It's who they are. Let this stuff wash over you when you're standing in the shower and think, do I, do I have that in me? And even if you think you don't, Find someone you can trust that will love you no matter what and ask them. Someone you can trust and will love you no matter what and ask them. And they may be nice to say, well, I don't think they're really like that, but ever so often we see that in you. 
You can get mad about that and you say, oh God, thank you, thank you. I don't want to be that person. I want to learn to hate that rather than espouse that or promote that. I want to learn to hate that. I don't want to be a worthless person, a wicked person. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that. Especially when you get to the consequence in verse 15. Look at verse 15. Sudden destruction. Calamity will come upon him suddenly. The moment that he's broken. This is, this is troubling. Beyond healing. There is a breaking point where God says, you know what? I've warned you. I've warned you. I've restored you. I've restored you. I've pulled you back. I've pulled you back. This is what the Bible says. Especially in the book of Proverbs. is moving from these three words from the simple to the foolish, to the uh, scorner. He just mocks God. That's stupid. you got to be crazy. Ain't nothing to that. It's a scornfulness. Scornfulness is what you're seeing in the last line of verse 15. Broken beyond healing. The Holy Spirit is no longer drawing. The Holy Spirit is no longer saying, you better stop doing that. It's going to cost you your life. It's that's going to kill you. It's not that I'm going to kill you. Your own sin's going to kill you. Your own sin's going to kill you. But he stops warning. Noah preached for 120 years. And no one said, I think he's on to something. I think there's truth in this. And then God shut the door. Read the account. They sat in the ark for I think it was a full week before it began to rain. It was only when it began to rain. Now everyone wants to repent. But you can't come to God unless He's drawing you, unless He's calling you. No man comes to the Father except the Father, except the Son draws him. They've been warned for 120 years. 120 years. comes a time in verse 15 the simple have, have been warned and the fool has been just pleaded and warned and pleaded and he becomes a scorner and sudden calamity comes and there's no healing for that degree of brokenness so says the word of God right. is it in my Previous century down south, shut up, boy, figure it out kind of approach to life. No, this is the word of God. And all the while, where we begin, where did we begin this morning? In Leviticus, don't hate these people. They're blinded. Jesus is praying, Father, forgive them. They've been deceived. Wow. Finally, I write that down here thinking. Pastor, keep applying to this quickly today. Why don't you this well? Let's don't get used to this. <laughs> I want to use the word wantonness here. Verse 16. 16 is the word hates. Seven for an abomination. The word abomination is just greatly detested, despised. But I want to use the word wantonness because it's a broader term. We use it usually uniquely to immorality. There's, okay, so you stepped outside of your marriage. 
Okay, so you were stupid when you were a teenager or in, in, in college. Okay, okay, okay. But this, this, oh, that's disgusting. And we would reserve the word wantonness usually to the most egregious of, of sexual and, and, and immoralities of sinful things. But in its core, the word wanton simply means senseless or cruel or simply irresponsible. Like we're living in a culture now that says, well, you know, people are going to be people. But use some protection, man. Like that's irresponsible. But whether we're talking about ethical issues, sexual, moral issues, pick your category, philosophical issues, there's all kinds of senseless irresponsibility going on, I think. I think. That's the word wanton. It's not just applied to the most disgusting of sexual acts or addictions. No, it, it simply means in its most purest verbiage, senseless immorality or, 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 or irresponsibility, you would say. He starts in verse 16. These 16 are more things. It's not to say that there's only seven. In fact, uh, even in this chapter, there's some things alluded to, previous to, I showed you three short categories, and here's the fourth one. Chapter 30, Proverbs 30, it's all about the Lord hates these two things, he hates these five things, he hates these seven things, he hates these things, and, and it seems to be a, a, an ancient Hebrew style of poetry that you arrange things by similarity and you group them in a, in a list of numbers. Two, five, seven. There's no magical number here. I'm not a big believer at all in biblical numerology. I think it's uh, really it's worse than a far reach. You're, you're trying to manufacture your own system. So it's not about numerology at all. It's, it's just God hates these three things. But they're grouped because there's a similarity. And God hates these five things. But then they're grouped because of their similarity. And that's what's going on in this section here. Starting in verse 16. And he lists them, starting in verse 17. Haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are hasty running to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord. And that's the second time he came up in this chapter. And I don't know about Jesus, or in this case Solomon, who's writing this, no doubt by inspiration. But I tend to say the best or the harshest for last. And there it is in the list of seven. Discord. You know what's discord? Uh, murmuring is discord. Gossip is discord. Putting your nose in someone else's business is sowing discord. And here it is, twice, of the things that God hates. He loves you. He loves you. Don't forget when we opened this morning. I took the time to show you that in Leviticus. That is abomination. Don't hate your brother who may be caught up in something abominable. Don't hate people. 
Why do we lie to our parents about where we've been? Because we wanted to be there. We knew they didn't want us to be there. But you don't want my life now. I want my life. I know I live off your money. But I want my life now. So we lie. And, and uh, all things have progression. This is kind of shocking and sad. Look where it ends in verse 17. Hands that shed innocent blood. Now some of you immediately reaction, oh this you're just going too far with this pastor, you're crazy. I never killed anybody, I never thought about killing anybody. Well, I, I hope that's true. Really, I hope that's true. I, I don't want our law enforcement people to have to bring their handguns to church with them. I, I hope that's true of you and never thought about killing anybody, but shedding innocent blood is not just the act of actual murder. When Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount again, he says, well, don't, don't think that, for instance, adultery is the act of adultery. If you've imagined things in your mind with another person you're married to, that's adultery. And the whole congregation that day, and again this morning, then, oh. And he said, it's not just thou shalt not kill. I'm telling you, quit calling your brother stupid. The word there is raka, it's stupid. And the whole congregation goes, oh. So we shed some innocent blood in our days. And God said, don't you learn to hate them? Because I hate them. The superiority, inferiority based on class, color, education, affluence, neighborhood, cars that you drive can't afford but you've got to keep up the image. Stop all that. You might think the list here at the end of this section, 16 and 19, would be, you know, the, the 21st century words we use like murder, uh, human trafficking, uh, uh, rape, uh, picture, picture most abhorrent. He's going for the root issues that produce those things. So we can stop it before it gets there. That's why, are you an adolescent in the room? Your parents are so intent on where you go and who you go with and what you're doing. Right. They're worried a little bit about where you're going right now. They're greatly worried about what's this going to produce five or ten years from now. And you haven't learned to look that far ahead. I'm asking you to trust your parents. Or at least the Jesus in them. Hands that shed innocent blood, it goes all the way back to slander, gossip, busybody, it's character assassination. Here's another thing that means verse 18 a heart that devises wicked plans. I know what we can do. I know what we can do. Maybe you start with a plan. We could do this, we could do this, with this, and if this works right, nothing will happen to us and someone else will get blamed. Look how clever we are. God hates that. A heart that devises wicked plans. They didn't check my receipt. I could have grabbed more. They gave me too much change. 
they're not going to miss $20. If you get exhilarated because you got away with something, you're going the wrong direction. God hates this kind of stuff. Feet that are quick to evil. All of us have shameful stories that we were deceived, we were given a picture that wasn't true, we got there, it was something different that was worse. And, uh, there's two or three times, there's two or three times that I was deceived, I was lured, and I got sucked into a, a, a simple situation. Two or three times. There's about two or three hundred times I knew exactly the right story. I knew exactly. The second part of verse 18 is, is just convicting to me because there have been times that, that I just lied boldly to my parents. Couldn't wait to get out the door because I knew exactly where I was going and what I was about to do. I was running. I was making haste to evil. And God hates That attitude, that whole double life, sneaky, here's what you think, here's what's reality. He hates that. Verse 19, a false witness who just can't stop lying. I think I've told you we knew the couple that built the house close to the parking lot in the church. She came to faith. Her husband never did, and she was just, in fact, a surrogate grandmother to our kids. Joyce has a middle name. The first two girls have middle names. Joyce has a middle name because Ruth was such an impact on our lives. We loved her greatly. And she had a, I don't know, a distant cousin or one of her husband's relatives, and she spent a lot of time with her, and she would always say, She'd rather lie and get paid to tell the truth. <laughs> was her phrase. That's verse 19. They just can't help themselves. Well, so I'm not really lying. It's okay, it's a little, little exaggeration. But if you tell your exaggerations in such a way that it sounds plausible, then no, that's lying. Now, if you're using hyperbole, and, and, and you're making some great outlandish, which everyone knows is hyperbole. Uh, okay, you're making a point, but no, people will think you really, really been there and did that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Ruth said, No, she didn't. She did not. God hates that. Again, look at the list. It, it's not. Would, would human trafficking make the list? Yeah, but human trafficking is the result of these uncorrected steps. You think there's some six-year-old or some, let's be more reasonable, you think there's some fifth, sixth grader somewhere saying, you know what, I, I, I want to grow up and I, I, I want to sell drugs and exploit people and sell women. I doubt that's happening. Right. But if some life chastised and, 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 and some tolerated behavior is not corrected, who knows where it's going to wind up? 
So let's learn to hate the seed of the sin before the seed begins to produce any fruit. Mm -hmm. So read with me again, starting in verse 16, 17. Haughty eyes, lying tongue, and lying comes up two or three times here. Hands to shed innocent blood, but it's not just the act of murder, it's character assassination as well. So says Jesus, not just Pastor Billy. Devising wicked plans, eager to sin. Again, lying, false witness, and last, discord. I'm not about to say that doctrine doesn't matter in church. You'd be just foolish and stupid to say doctrine clearly matters. But I have to tell you this quickly, easily. I've been around church life my whole life through my parents, and now as a pastor. More churches split and come to total ruin. They don't even exist anymore. That happens more due to discord than it ever has happened due to doctrinal divisions. I, I believe there's nothing more healthy than a respectful, serious doctrine any day. To debate doctrine is a good thing. What's the Bible really saying? And, and based on what the Bible really saying, what should we really do? Those are good discussions if they're civil. Those are great discussions if they're respectful. And if each side knows, I'm not trying to control you. I'm not trying to dominate. I'm not trying to control the congregation. I want to know the truth. Search for truth is a noble pursuit. Some churches need to split if it's a noble, doctrinal, legitimate issue. Most churches don't fight over that stuff. I'm not sure they care about that stuff that much. They find over whether we should have a new building or fix the old building or just live with what we've got. Should we be doing the ministry? Should we just hire staff? Let all the staff do all the ministry. They fight about that. They fight about things that separate, that divide. There's discord. I think they're crazy. And you move from talking about the issue to the person who's promoting that side of that issue. I don't even care about the issue anymore. They're crazy. I'm not going to let them tell me what to do. Oh, we got a good church right now. No wonder the Bible says God hates that kind of discord. He hates. Most churches don't spread over worthy things. <clears throat> Most marriages don't end over abuse. I think abuse is intolerable. Most marriages don't end over abuse, at least physical abuse. It's the, we can't agree on money. We can't agree on how to raise the kids. We can't agree on social life, because you act completely out of control. You act like a teenager again. You, he, her, she, them. 
They don't, they don't, it's emotional, relational, it's these kinds of issues. No wonder God hates these kinds of issues. Sowing discord among the brethren. It's real precipitation. What do you think about what he said? We ask that question first before we give our position. Am I talking to a friend or a soldier? And and if if they come up with an answer different from yours, oh okay, okay, I was just wondering. Then you ask thirteen of the people, and when you find enough people that agree with you, you think, okay, I got a little movement going on. I got my little my little group here, and and if I find another group, we got six right there. So you know what? We we can do something here. We we, we can bring some changes here. Rather than, if you want to know what I meant by what I said, you can always just come ask me. Why would we do that? That's so indiscreet. That's why a kid goes to his mom and says, Mom, ask your father. The outright lie is, Hey, Dad, Mom said. Or you couch the question in such a way that it makes it sound like mom was at least sympathetic. Mom didn't say she was against it, but she wanted to make sure I asked you first. And then the dad said, well, mom says she's okay. Okay, okay. You're showing discord. And on and on and on discord. Sometimes it's silly and funny, and other times, no, it's demonic. It's not silly and funny at all. God hates this. That's, that's what we're showing in. That's what the passage says. This, this is the point for us to get. What we think is silly, and it's cultural, and it's how we do things, and I didn't really mean anything by that. Don't, don't, don't say that by yourself. You did mean something by this. And, and God hates these things. Seventeen haughty eyes, lying tongues, quick to hurt others, wicked plans, Eager to evil, moralize, so discord. So let's to pray, and then we'll sing. We read the verse this morning. Go to the end, you sluggard. We're about to sing. Run to God. Yeah. I will run to you, God. Yeah. Pray with your eyes open. Look on the screen. Or look on your Bible, this last paragraph, 16 to 19, 17 to 19, and just ask yourself, do I have even an inkling of any of these seven qualities in me? And then we're going to say, God, I'm running to you. I want to get rid of this stuff in me. I don't want any of this mess in me. I'm praying with my eyes. God, we've heard your word. The first 19 verses of this whole chapter were focused on the last three. While our eyes are looking over your word right now, God, would, would you make, as we say in our language, would you, would you make the, the, the words just jump off the page and make each of us know which ones we're playing with, toying with, we're clinging to, and you know we need to get rid of it. Would, would you draw our eyes to that one phrase 
of the seven things listed, or how many of them there are, you might be just serious about running to you with repentance and pleading for mercy. If Paul was still in this stage of being foolish, we will not be so rebellious that we wind up with sudden clarity. That we would repent and get on track with you. Help us to look at these behaviors and the attitude behind those behaviors and hold on. Would you deliver us from ourselves and save us from our own sins? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.